Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. We just got to see something pretty cool. We just got to see a baptism. Come on up. Baptism is one of the coolest things that happens to us human beings. When you guys were born in the hospital, the nurse probably brought your parents a a couple pieces of paper that they had to fill out. They were going to tell the state in which you were born that you were born. They, they wanted the government to know that you are now alive. And on that piece of paper, it's called a birth certificate, your parents wrote their last name. And so the reason you have a last name is so that everybody knows who you belong to, right? You belong to the mom and dad that have that same last name as you. In baptism, the same thing happens. In baptism, I got to say to little Emmanuel, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The name of the triune God. In baptism, we are born into God's family so that we're not just children of our parents, we are children of God too. And the way that he shows that is by putting his name on us. Now, you're going to leave here today in in a very short amount of time, I promise. This service is not going to take that long today. You're going to go home, and you're going to have your parents' name on you, and things are going to happen during the week. You're not going to perfectly listen to your mom and dad, unfortunately. I hate to break it to you. You guys are going to make some mistakes, and they might get a little angry. Maybe you'll fight with brothers and sisters. Maybe you'll not be so nice to friends. Sin happens to all of us. We all sin every single week. And and sin will make us feel guilty. It should. And sometimes you might think, I don't deserve to be God's child because I don't do the things that God's children should do. But just like when you wake up in the morning and you can't change your last name, when you wake up in the morning, you can't change the fact that God's name is on you. Even if you don't feel like God's child, you are. You know why? Because God put his name on you. And that means that you are his dear son, his dear daughter. Your God loves you. He proved it in baptism. He proved it when he sent his son Jesus, who we just heard a few minutes ago was also baptized, anointed to serve God, anointed to live for us, to die on the cross, to take all of our sins away so that we can be God's children, to rise from the dead for us so that death will not scare us, so that we can be God's children now and forever. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for placing your name on us in baptism, for giving us something that we can look to every single day, a point in our lives when you claimed us as your own child. No matter how we feel, help us to remember that we are your dear children, Empower us through our baptisms to live in our baptismal grace to serve you all the days of our life. In the name of our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson for today will serve as the basis for our sermon text. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. 
But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen that one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before the Lord, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully Upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Let's begin with prayer. To Jordan came the Christ our Lord to do his Father's pleasure. Baptized by John, the Father's word was given us to treasure. This heavenly washing now shall be a cleansing from transgression, and by his blood and agony, release from death's oppression. A new life now awaits us. Amen. Let's talk about messianic hope. We talk about the word Messiah here at Mount Olive a lot. Hope it doesn't get too repetitive for you, but it's good to to have this one straight in our minds, to know what Messiah means. Messiah, same as Christ, right? Just different languages. It means anointed one. Now, in the biblical sense, this concept of anointing is really important, especially when God is the one doing the anointing. In the Old Testament, we see God anointing kings, we see God anointing prophets, we see God anointing priests, and in every case, it is God binding himself to the one being anointed. It is God himself promising to be faithful to the one who is being anointed, And that's a big deal. Because if God is promising to be faithful, well, that is the ultimate source of hope. You want to talk about hope? 
Look to the God of the universe who has promised to be faithful to you. Now there is a real source of hope. So when we think about Messiah and hope, these two things are intimately connected. God has always been a source of hope. From the very, very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, that very same day, God provided them with the perfect source of hope. He, he promised them a savior. And you fast forward a little while to Noah. Noah and his family were facing a cataclysmic flood that would destroy the whole world. Where was their hope? In the God who promised that the Savior would be a descendant of Eve as God keeps his promise and preserves a remnant. Fast forward a little further. Abraham, a descendant of Noah and his family is born. And what does God do? He says, I want you to move far, far away from home, probably a thousand miles away from home to a land you've never seen. And God was Abraham's source of hope. Fast forward a little further where Abraham's many, many descendants had become slaves in Egypt. It wasn't Moses who was their hope. It was God who was their hope as he brought them out of Egypt with his mighty hand and gave them the land that he promised on oath to Abraham. But it didn't take long for these descendants of Abraham now living in this promised land to want a new source of hope. You know what kind of hope they wanted this time? They wanted hope they could see. Yeah, their ancestors had seen God's power as he brought them through the, the Red Sea and as he made the walls of Jericho fall down. They, they could see that power with their eyes. But these particular descendants of Abraham heard those stories, but they hadn't seen that kind of power with their eyes. And so when their enemies were threatening them, they wanted hope they could look at and see. They wanted a king. And God gave them exactly what they asked for. Take a listen to this short section from 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bukorath, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. God's people want a source of hope they could see. He says, fine, here's the best of you. Here's the tallest, the best looking, the strongest. Saul, a man of standing, a head taller than all the rest. Doesn't take more than six chapters as you're reading through 1 Samuel to see the rise and the fall of Saul. This source of hope who looked great to the eyes turned out to be a, a false sense of hope, a false source of hope. He looked good, but he wasn't what they needed. Our text picks up there. Samuel is mourning the prophet Samuel who anointed Saul not too long before. He's mourning the fact that Saul has rejected God and in turn God has rejected Saul. And God basically says to Samuel, stop wasting your time mourning with this king that I have rejected I want you to fill your horn with oil. I want you to go to that little no-name town of Bethlehem. There's a man there named Jesse. 
You're going to anoint one of his sons. And God says something in particular that's really important. He says, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Keep that in mind. And so Samuel does what the Lord says. He stops mourning for Saul. He puts oil in his horn. He goes to Bethlehem and kind of a little side note, but it's interesting. He gets to Bethlehem and the people are a little worried. What is this guy doing here? This most powerful prophet of the Lord? Why would he come to our little town? Is everything okay? We hope this isn't a problem. Do you come in peace? Samuel says, yeah, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Had come to the sacrifice. And there amongst the elders of Bethlehem stands Jesse and his sons. Samuel consecrates them and invites them to the sacrifice. But then Samuel looks with his eyes and he sees and he says, this must be the one. He figures that what his eyes see must be the one God has chosen. I saved one little detail that I didn't share with you yet. When God told Samuel that it was one of the sons of Jesse, in our text, God said, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. You know what God actually says? In Hebrew, God says, I have seen one of his sons to be king. And I'll indicate the one to you that it is. Well, Samuel sees this big, strong, tall, good-looking son of Jesse, Eliab, and he figures, well, what I see must be what God sees. Not the case. What our eyes see often differs from what God decrees. There was one more. One more son. Jesse calls him Hakatan, the little one. We're not sure if that means he was the youngest or short. Maybe both. But he's not important enough to be found amongst the elders of Bethlehem like Jesse and the rest of the sons. He's off like those guys that we heard about last week, keeping watch over his flocks and fields outside of Bethlehem. He's a shepherd taking care of sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. We, we won't sit down until he comes. And in walks this young man who, did you notice, isn't even named to the very last verse? We don't even know who it is. His name is not given to us to the very last verse. The Lord says, this is the one. Remember Samuel, the one that I said I would indicate? This is the one. Anoint him. There's a lot going on in this text. When Samuel sees Eliab, he says something fascinating. Here stands Messiah. Here stands the Lord's anointed. What my eyes see, this must be the anointed one. This must be the new source of hope. But it's not what the eyes of a human sees. And so the Lord says to Samuel, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is why we so often run after fraudulent messiahs. Because our eyes look at the outward appearance. 
The world has its idea of what a Messiah should look like. The world has its idea of what a true source of hope should look like. The world says, give me good health, I have hope. Give me any amount of material prosperity. If it can be measured as prosperous, it's good enough for me, I have hope. Give me success. Hey, I don't even need success for myself. Just let my children be successful. Let my grandchildren be successful. And there will be hope. The world is is very certain that these sources of hope that look good to the eyes are, are all we need. And because our eyes also look at the outward appearance, we are often drawn to the same exact messiahs. But they're forgeries. They're frauds. Sickness and death run roughshod over these kinds of messiahs all day long. There's only one anointed. There's only one Messiah who offers a true source of hope, a source of hope that can get us through sicknesses like this, that can get us through unforeseen diagnosis, that can get us even through death. You understand why the people outside of Jerusalem thought John the Baptist might be the Messiah. It's not that hard. There's this weird guy out in the desert and he's drawing huge crowds. He must have been a pretty charismatic speaker. He had good things to say. He seemed like the right kind of guy. Why would we be surprised that in the first verse of our gospel lesson, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if their hearts of John might possibly be the Messiah? Made a lot more sense than the nobody from Nazareth. Made a lot more sense than the guy that nobody had heard of. Nobody knew who Jesus was. Nobody. But everybody in Jerusalem knew who John the Baptist was. Until one day, as John is baptizing this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, this lowly son of a carpenter, comes to John and is baptized too. And God tears open the heavens. The Holy Spirit comes down in bodily form, anointing this Jesus of Nazareth. And this booming voice comes from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. How would anyone know that David was the one who would be anointed? Only by the Lord decreeing, this is the one, anoint him. How would anyone know that Jesus of Nazareth was not just a man, was far more than a nobody? Only when God decreed it. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And in that anointing of his son, God the Father binds himself, promises to be faithful, assures his one and only son that this plan to rescue fallen humanity is the right plan. And as all anointed ones are prepared to serve the God who promises to be faithful to them, who binds himself to them, Jesus, the Son of God, is now equipped and ready to serve. He has been anointed by his father. 
He has been bound to by his faithful father and he is now ready to go serve his father and to serve us. Even with his own death and resurrection. That's exactly what he did. He set off to serve our greatest need by suffering our hell and by dying our death that we might be cleansed of sin. What a day to have a baptism. Couldn't have picked a better day if we tried. To not only see little Emmanuel be brought into God's family, be anointed by the Holy Spirit, as God binds himself to that young man and promises to be faithful to him, God has done the same thing for you and me in our baptisms. God has washed us clean of all the times that we've chased after those fraudulent messiahs, of all the times that we've looked to the, the, the wrong sources of hope, the things that look good to our eyes but were not what God decreed, we've been washed clean. We have the only kind of Messiah who matters, Jesus. And now in our baptisms, we've been united with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. We have been anointed so that we could serve. And every single day, that baptism that stands in your rearview mirror and mine. It empowers you to get up and serve your God once again because you too have been anointed by God. You're gonna walk out of here in just a few minutes and you will definitely need some hope. You'll need it tomorrow, you'll need it this week, you'll need it this month and you'll need it this year because this life is not easy. Day after day, you're going to be reminded. You're going to be reminded that health fails, fails so easily. You're going to be reminded that even the most prosperous material possessions can evaporate in an instant and that apparent success can disappear with one mistake. You're going to need some real hope. You have it in your Savior Jesus. You have it in your baptism. This week, remember that what our eyes see differs from what God decrees. Remember what God decreed about his son at his baptism. Remember what God decreed about you at your baptism. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Even if our eyes don't see that God could be well pleased with us, God decrees it. He is. He is well pleased with you because of what his son Jesus has done. God has decreed it. Amen.